Welcome to the Fairway Doc Golf Podcast, episode number one. I am Noah Hendrickson, and let's just jump right into it. So I want to talk about golfer's elbow, and that can be a broad topic, and there could be a lot of different characteristics or layers to this, but I think it's also somewhat of a confusing term. Now, what golfer's elbow actually is, is called medial epicondylitis, and it happens on the inside or the medial aspect of your elbow. So for a, for a golfer, it would most likely be on the inside of their trail arm. So a right-handed golfer would experience on the inside of their right elbow. And you can feel this sort of bony structure on your elbow called the medial epicondyle. And where the tendons and medial epicondyle meet and attach, at this connection site, you can develop inflammation or microtraumas or just an injury that can occur. But just because you're a golfer does not mean you are automatically going to develop golfer's elbow. Or just if you do develop an elbow pain, it may not be on the inside of your trail arm. What golfers sometimes have a tendency to develop is something called lateral epicondylitis, which is pain or inflammation on the outside or the lateral aspect of your elbow in your lead arm. So a right-handed golfer, it would be on the outside of their left elbow. So that's actually termed tennis elbow on the lateral epicondylitis. So it doesn't matter what sport you put in front of this. This could be from baseball, tennis, a throwing motion, or just an everyday motor pattern or sort of motion that you are doing could contribute to this inflammation occurrence or this injury that occurs at that site. While it's often termed overuse, I think the term overuse needs a little bit more information behind it because just because you do something X number of times or you know you do something more than someone else does not mean you are automatically going to develop you know, this inflammation or this pain that occurs at these joints. Take a PGA Tour player. You know, they swing the golf club, practice, and play a lot more than normal people do. They're not automatically going to develop golfer's elbow or this inflammation just because they have a higher incidence of swinging the golf club. You know, just because you do something more than someone else or you do a motor pattern more than someone else or so many times, X number of times, it doesn't automatically qualify you to be at risk for developing this inflammation or injury to occur. I think a better way to talk about overuse is that an overuse injury or the term overuse by itself just means you exceeded a work capacity that you are able to handle. And I guess that does make sense when you talk about it as overuse as you are you are extending past a work capacity, but it's more going past that checkpoint. So if the workload that you are doing, so if the amount of work being done or the, the motor pattern or motion that you are doing exceeds the work capacity that you have, anything above and beyond that checkpoint puts you at risk of breakdown or imbalances or, you know, physiologically, biomechanically a disadvantage because it's not something that you are sort of safely able to handle. There is some sort of breakdown that's happening that's putting you at risk of developing 
an injury or, you know, an acute flaring up of inflammation that occurs anything beyond that checkpoint. So maybe specifically for golf, a better way to talk about overuse is either a high dosage of workload that's being exceed or that's exceeding the work capacity that you have to handle it or an overuse of improper biomechanics in the golf swing. You know, an example, take someone who hasn't swung a golf club in a few weeks or a few months and they go out on the driving range and hit 50, 75, 100 golf balls in one session. It's not necessarily that you hit so many golf balls. It's that biomechanically you may not have been able to handle that amount of work before there was some sort of breakdown. And in this example, if you develop an acute inflammation or acute injury or pain that occurs, it's because you just exceeded the work capacity that you can handle. It's not necessarily that you did something so many times. So I think we have to kind of attach this caveat to overuse is that it's overuse because you exceeded some sort of work capacity or, you know, you could use it as an overuse because there's an improper biomechanics or physiological factor happening in the motor pattern or in the motion that you are doing. I want to talk about three ways in the golf swing or three characteristics that I think could be a way that possibly you are experiencing this golfer's elbow or three ways that you may be setting yourself up for golfer's elbow. And by no means is this a fix-all that, you know, if you do one of these characteristics or things I'm going to talk about, that you will fix your golfer's elbow or that you will never have golfer's elbow because you don't do these three things because there can be a multitude of different factors or characteristics or a lot of layers to golfer's elbow that aren't these three things. So again, by no means is this a fix-all. But I'm going to specifically talk about three characteristics of, um, in the golf swing of areas that may affect that medial epicondylitis or that golfer's elbow specifically in the medial aspect of your trail arm in the golf swing. So the first thing I want to talk about is golf grip. Now, there is a difference between a strong grip and a tight grip. We want to have a strong grip and not necessarily a tight grip. And maybe I should say excessively tight grip. If you look at the best golfers, most likely they're going to have a strong grip versus a tight grip. And I know you're probably thinking those two terms are sort of synonymous. And at the forefront they are. But the end product of those two terms are very different. So if you take someone who has a strong grip and you take someone with an excessively too tight grip, the amount of work they're doing is different, but the work output is the same. So if you have a strong grip, you know, the amount of work you're doing isn't as much as someone with an excessively too tight grip, but the pressure that's on the club or the pressure in your grip could be relatively the same. So we want to develop a strong grip, not a tight grip. And as we increase our muscular strength, 
we in turn increase our muscular efficiency. So those two go hand in hand and not just in the golf grip or in golf, but in any sort of physical activity where you develop or fitness, where you develop muscle strength and increase a muscle hypertrophy, you in turn are going to have an increase of muscular efficiency. And I guess, you know, they're the same. So if you say, if you increase your muscle efficiency as a byproduct, you are going to be stronger or you're going to have an increase of that muscle strength. So the end goal of a strong grip versus a excessively too tight grip is the same. The pressure is the same, but the work you're doing to achieve that is a lot less in someone with a stronger grip. So if we can develop a stronger grip strength, if we can sort of have that muscle hypertrophy of developing stronger hands and wrists and forearms, then we can do the same amount of work as someone who's gripping the club excessively too tight with with less work being done. And anything we do in sports, in fitness, in any physical activity, we always want to be more muscular efficient. We always want to be more efficient with our movements versus less work to do the same amount of end goal. So developing that grip strength could be a great way to ease up on the muscle contraction in your tight grip. So if you're gripping the club excessively too tight, you will feel it in your hands, in your wrists, in your forearms, up to your elbow being contracted and worked. And over time, if you are doing more of that muscle contraction, if you are doing more work than really needs to be done, you potentially could be putting yourselves up for that biomechanical disadvantage over time of, of just having to do more work or having to work the muscles and joints harder than they really need to. So, you know, over weeks, months, years time, you could potentially be putting yourselves at risk because of the a total amount of work volume that you are doing is, is excessively what's needed. So again, this may not be an issue. If you have a strong grip, you may develop golfer's elbow. If you have an incredibly tight grip, you may never develop golfer's elbow. But just something to be aware of is, is how long-term effects of, of doing more work or contracting those muscles and joints more than they need to be done, how that could possibly have an effect or be a factor in that golfer's elbow or in that inflammation or pain in that medial aspect of your elbow. Number two, I want to talk about the lag effect. So once we have the club come in contact with the ball in our swing, ideally we want to see the club almost at an angle where our hands are in front of the club head. So if we can hit this position, if we can have this position when we come in contact with the ball, that means we have that sort of lag effect and our hands are leading the way. And we want to think about hitting the golf ball with almost the back of our lead hand. If you are doing this position, if at the point where the club comes in contact with the ball, you are in this sort of angled position with your hands leading the way, that means you are staying in wrist extension, which is what we want. So in the backswing of your trail hand, when you go into backswing, at the top position, your trail hand is in wrist extension. And we want to keep this wrist of our trail hand extended all the way through contact and through the shot until it naturally or sort of smoothly and seamlessly will go into more of that wrist uh, flexion or more of a neutral wrist position as we finish our swing. 
And if at the point where you come in contact with the ball, if your hands are leading the way, if your hands are in front and that club's almost at an angle, then you know your trail hand has stayed in wrist extension all the way through the shot. Now, what can happen is as we go into our backswing, we're in wrist extension, but if we start on the downswing and start to bring that wrist more in a neutral position and sort of flex that wrist forward, what that is doing is essentially at the point where we come in contact with the ball with the club, our hands will most likely be stacked on top of the ball. They won't be in front of the ball. They'll almost be in line with the ball. And if that's the case, we no longer are in wrist extension with our trail hand, but we are in more of a neutral wrist position. Now, not only having you know, our wrist in more of a neutral position will the shot most likely not be as good or as strong and powerful because if we can stay in that wrist extension with our trail hand, that's going to enable us to have more of that power or a better shot. If we are going into wrist flexion, most likely you're probably losing some distance or losing some speed. And also what's happening is you're almost putting yourselves at more of a biomechanical disadvantage again because as our trail hand of our wrist stays extended, we are creating that stronger you know, joint. We are creating that stronger uh, biomechanics in the golf swing. As we come into more wrist flexion, we are losing some of that strength and again, to that biomechanical disadvantage, we are in a weaker position that could be contributing to more stress or strain being placed on that wrist joint and then ultimately having an effect through the forearm and up to the elbow. So use your feedback um, as a way to know if your trail hand is staying in wrist extension or if you are going to more of a neutral position. So if at the point where the ball comes in contact, if your hands are leading the way, then that means your trail hand is, in, is staying in wrist extension. If your hands are stacked above the ball, then that means you went into more of a neutral wrist position too early at contact with the ball. And that's putting more of that stress and strain on that wrist joint that could be contributing to golfer's elbow pain or that may put you at risk of developing that golfer's elbow. Number three, I want to talk about golf mats. Now, if you're like me and you live in a colder weather climate in the wintertime, then we are unfortunately stuck off golf mats and looking at some flurries right now outside. So there is a big difference between the golf grass and the golf mats, both in how the shot comes out, but also the biomechanical makeup of the two. So if you're hitting off grass, the, uh, the grass has less room for error and the mats have more room for error. So an example will say if you're hitting on the grass and you come behind the ball, if you're excessively coming behind the ball and hitting the shot fat, you're going to know right away and get instant feedback that that was a shot behind the ball or, or, or a fat shot because you'll probably see the divot fly up and the ball's not going to go very far. Now, on the mats, you're not going to have that much of a instant feedback because if you're hitting off the mats in that same example and you're coming behind the ball, because the club obviously won't dig into the mats and it has that rebound effect, 
the club's still going to sort of go on that same path and the same path you want it to go, and it'll probably still come in contact decently with the ball. And you may, like, feel it or hear that sound and know that it wasn't a great shot, but the ball still may travel, and you might be like, well, I don't know. It was The ball went pretty far. But that's just because of that rebound effect and because there's more room for error on the golf mats. Now, the biomechanical breakup or the biomechanical makeup of those two is when you hit off grass, it is more forgiving and mats are less forgiving. And back to that same example, if you, you know, if you hit the shot fat behind the ball, the club's going to dig into the ground. And I guess depending on how much of a divot you take or or how hard you come in contact or how far behind the ball you hit, it can be a jarring effect you know, on the club, ultimately through the hands and the wrist and the elbow, and it can be that impact that can be uncomfortable and a little bit painful. But as a general rule, there is a greater ground reaction force coming from the golf mats as opposed to grass. So in that same example, because the club's not digging into the ground, you're, you're sort of bouncing it off that more harder surface. And because you do that, you have a greater ground reaction force that's coming back into the club, into the hands, into the wrist and the forearms and up to the elbow than it would be on the grass. And we do not want a greater ground reaction force because you can think of that as a negative. That's putting more stress and strain on the joints if we have that greater ground reaction force coming back in through. So, you know, think about it if you were falling on the ground and you were catching yourselves and you're, and you're catching yourselves in this extended wrist position, you know, that's going to put a lot of pressure and strain on that wrist joint and in those forearms and obviously hitting off, you know, if you hit a shot fat off the mats, it's not the same amount of total force, but it's still a force that's coming in to that wrist joint and ultimately to the forearms that, that can be uncomfortable and a greater ground reaction force in a negative manner that we don't want to have. You know, we don't want to put excess strain or excess force back into our hands or back into the body and joints. So on the grass, when you had that instant feedback of knowing that shot was a little bit fat or behind the ball, you're not going to have that on mats, but you, but your feedback is to listen for that thuddy sound you hear when you come in contact with the mats. And that's that instant feedback to know that if you're hearing that sound, you have to assume that most likely you are putting more ground reaction force back into the club and ultimately back into your muscles and joints that really we want to try to avoid that as much as possible. Think about how, you know, related to the golf mats, I think about this with uh, someone who runs a lot. So if you are specifically running on a treadmill exclusively, uh, your biomechanical makeup sort of has adjusted or adapted to that surface. You know, it's a little bit more bouncy probably. So, you know, your running gait, your running motion, your biomechanical makeup of how you run has adapted to a certain way. And if that same person goes out and runs, you know, outside on the concrete where that surface and where that ground reaction force is different or where that ground reaction force is increased in a negative manner, that person may run the risk of developing some sort of inflammation or injury because you change the surface and, and you change the biomechanical 
I guess, input from that surface of how your body reacts to it. So it's not necessarily that you, you know, it's a different surface and you're running different mileage, but it's, it's that your joints and your muscles are, are working differently than they were on a certain surface. So your muscles and joints may, you know, cause an earlier breakdown because they are, they are working harder or differently on a concrete surface versus a treadmill. And the same thing for the golf mats and the, and the golf grass is, is the biomechanical makeup that you are doing with your joints and muscles, you know, could be causing it to work excessively hard or you're exposing yourself to more of that ground reaction force that could contribute to that incidence of inflammation or, or what you may call overuse. You know, back to this example of, of, the, of the treadmill is, you know, a lot of times people have shin splints and that often gets termed also overuse. But again, I, I don't think it's specifically just overuse. If you develop shin splints, you know, there is a, a breakdown, there is an overuse of improper biomechanics, or you've exceeded the work capacity that you can handle. And, you know, you may say, well, I run the same amount of distance on a treadmill. If you run two miles on a treadmill and run two miles on concrete, it's, it's the same total distance, but the ground reaction force and the biomechanical makeup of, of the difference of what your body's doing in your joints and muscles will have some sort of effect on, you know, how early maybe you might reach that work capacity or, you know, how you may start to exceed that work capacity in an overuse manner is going to be different even though the distance is the same. So maybe that's relatable to the golf uh, mats and the golf grass where, you know, just the biomechanical change that you are doing is causing, you know, your muscles and joints to behave or to act in a certain way that's different or that you may reach that, you know, work capacity checkpoint at a different time than you typically would on the grass, that you may reach it on a different time hitting off golf mats. Uh, so use your feedback for all three of these components, talking about our grip, you know, see how your grip is. Does it feel tight? Do you feel, you know, those muscles being contracted are your hands and forearms sore after you, you know, go to the drive range? Or, or are you excessively feeling tired or cramping in there? I mean, that, that's an, a feedback to know that, you know, maybe you need to develop some more of that grip strength as opposed to excessively gripping the club too tightly. Um, for the lag effect and, and having your hands lead the way, you know, I use feedback to see, are, are you coming in contact with the ball and your hands are stacked on top? So your hands are in line with the ball or are your hands in front of the ball? And like I said earlier, if you know that you're stacked on top of each other, if your hands are stacked over the golf ball at the point where the club comes in contact with the golf ball, then you are in a, a position with your wrist, which is a neutral position. And we want to stay more extended in that position. And just like you do on the grass with the feedback of knowing a divot's coming, listen for that sound and, and know that each time you hear that thuddy sound or, or, or that sound or feel that wasn't, you know, wasn't great or you know if you're on grass would be a fatter shot, you know, you have to have it in your mind to know that each time you hear that sound or feel that, that you are potentially putting a, a greater ground reaction force coming back into the joints and the body. And really we want to try to avoid that as much as we can. 
And for all three of these things, and, and like everything, it's going to be a different for everybody. It's gonna, we all have different physiological makeups. We're all at different fitness and performance levels. So it isn't a one-size-fits-all you know, thing to fix if you're doing these three things because there's a lot of different layers and factors to it. But it's just something to be aware of, of, of how, you know, how you are putting stress and strain on your muscles and joints and how that could be relating short-term and long-term you know, to your overall health. And unfortunately, but it's true, is you know, as we age, we do lose our muscle strength, our muscle connection abilities, and our tendon strength. So that's just a factor of as we age, if you, know, you don't experience golfer's elbow now, you may down the road from doing the same exact swing or the same exact characteristics that you're doing, just because, you know, our biological makeup will change and, and ultimately kind of decrease in a negative way of how we, you know, are now. So just something to be aware of and, and things to be in mind of how how we're putting stress and strain on our body now to have long-term success. Uh, even dehydration status has a factor on our muscles and our joints because, you know, if we're dehydrated, that is going to have a negative impact on our muscles connection ability and our tendon and ligament strength. I don't necessarily think that if you are dehydrated one day and go out to the driving range that you are going to automatically develop golfer's elbow because you're slightly dehydrated and that's having a negative impact on your tendons. But again, as we age, you know, we lose that ability of our tendons and muscles to maintain that hydration status. So so just be aware of, of how small little factors and characteristics could be contributing short-term and long-term to that incidence of developing that golfer's elbow.